ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. Welcome to ID the Future. I'm your host, Eric Anderson, and today I'm pleased to share the second half of my conversation with Dr. Stuart Burgess, accomplished professor of engineering at Bristol University in the UK and visiting research fellow at Cambridge University. In the first half of our conversation, Dr. Burgess outlined the engineering principles of the remarkable linkage mechanisms found in living organisms. When we last left off, we were discussing force amplification, speed amplification, and the optimal location of musculature in the parrotfish and the slingjaw wrasse. Let's listen again as Dr. Burgess summarizes how taken aback he and his team were by the precision engineering behind these mechanisms, and then we'll continue the conversation from there. And one of the things that struck me in my work was the precision engineering behind these mechanisms. We, we were really taken aback by how intricate and precisely designed they were. Yeah, that's really remarkable. That's fantastic. And I think back to the parrotfish, you mentioned that the parrotfish actually chew on coral. So yep. they have a real need for this force amplification that you talk about. I'm thinking about, and just for our listeners, trying to you know, visualize this in our minds, I'm thinking about pliers. Uh, yes. If you have longer pliers, they can get a little more force amplified, but you certainly have more force ability if you're grabbing it and squeezing it from the back than if you were just trying to pinch it with your, you know, with your hand up at the very front. And uh, that also allows the muscle to be in the back, right? Yeah. And, and actually, you made a good analogy there because a parrotfish effectively has a very long lever by mm. virtue of of the multiple links in its linkage mechanism, it effectively gives you a much longer lever a lever advantage. Yeah, and you mentioned something like a 10x force amplification. And then it also can have those jaw muscles back in the body, farther into the body where you've got space to locate them instead of in the very front of the, you know, near the mouth. So that's pretty yeah. remarkable. Yeah, it's a superb example of uh, packaging. And that's definitely something that engineers would like to copy in, especially in robotics. Great. So that's a good example of force amplification. I think in your paper, you also discussed something called displacement amplification. What do you mean by that? Yeah, it's possible to use a linkage mechanism to amplify a displacement. So you have an input displacement, but you actually want it to be much, much bigger. So one of the fish jewels I looked at was the deep sea dragonfish. And if you've ever seen this kind of scary looking creature it can open its mouth to an incredible degree and, and swallow creatures that are bigger than itself hmm. the way it does it is that it uses a four bar linkage mechanism to undergo this strange displacement and open the jaw really wide but not only that the deep sea dragonfish also has an extra hinge between its head and its body it is, it's quite a unique creature like this so it has this hinge between the body and the head. Together with the four-bar linkage mechanism, it can open its jaws to an incredible degree. Okay, so the dragonfish has got not only a four-bar, but it's also got a hinge mechanism that allows it to open this this mouth way wider than you or I can. Yeah, exactly. And then those two devices are in series. Okay, yeah. Now, I don't know if you've studied this, but it, it reminds me of uh, some snakes that are able to you know, really open their mouth incredibly widely. And maybe it's a different mechanism that they're using. But any thoughts on that? Yeah, snakes also use similar kind of four-bar linkage systems. Actually, in the case of snakes, there's sometimes six or even more bars to get even wow. more of a displacement. But Snakes would be similar to the deep sea dragonfish in terms of a special displacement mechanism. 
Excellent. So tell us about something called the sling jaw. Is it the RAS? Am I pronouncing that right? The sling jaw RAS? Yeah. Well, the sling jaw RAS basically has a six bar mechanism. So just a few other bars put in. And it basically has like a linear actuator for the jaw mechanism. So when the sling jaw RAS opens its mouth, instead of, you know, the jaws just coming apart, angling apart, instead the mouth shoots forward by Mm. several centimeters. And Mm. that helps to create a suction effect and it sucks in prey or other food, which is very handy for a fish. Because if you imagine you're in a swimming pool, if you want to get something several feet in front of you, it's much easier if you can reach out with a long arm rather than having to swim forwards. And that's what happens with the sling jaw rest. Instead of swimming around all the time, it can poke its mouth forward to collect predators or to collect food. But it does have this very precise mechanism for doing that and is this is this fast i mean is it uh, shooting its mouth forward or is it kind of a slow motion yeah i did some modeling in my paper and i think the accelerations were going up towards 10 g so it's a tremendous tremendous acceleration wow and it's because of the acceleration and speed that's what helps create such a great suction force right so it's got that great ability to just shoot its mouth out there and capture prey and create suction force and everything at the same time. Wow. And that that's the one, am I right, that you use the CT scanners on to kind of look deeply into the structure there? Yeah, that's right. In fact, I had a PhD student from China who studied it for three years, and she actually brought one of her pet sling jaw wrasse over from China. Mm. So she, she sacrificed that for the, for the good of her PhD. Okay. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, what was your favorite linkage example from all the ones in your paper? I think my favorite one w- was the most impressive one because I looked at the peacock mantis shrimp. Now, this sea creature has this incredible club, which it uses to club the shells of other sea creatures to, to smash the shell open. And the club can be deployed at incredible uh, speeds. And it's actually driven by a four-bar mechanism, but but not only is it driven by a four-bar mechanism, it also has a spring to store strain energy. It has a mm. muscle actuator, and it also has a latch. So there are actually four mechanisms working in parallel, precisely designed, and, and it can virtually act like a gun where the muscle stores energy in the spring, a latch then closes it. And when it wants to deploy the club, it then uses another muscle to release the latch and then release the strain energy. And it's basically a power amplifier because the speed of the club is not limited by the muscle. It's actually dictated by the speed of the spring and the reaction of the spring. And so the power output is much, much greater than would be possible from a muscle. And, And this particular device has astounded scientists and engineers. Yes. Yeah, so you were mentioning with the parrotfish, with the four-bar mechanism, that it was able to achieve, a, I think you said 10 times force amplification. What about the peacock mana shrimp when it has this additional latch and storing of energy? What force amplification is it able to achieve? Uh, well, incredibly, it's something of the order of 30 times, you know, which is just an enormous amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's worth adding that muscles have a high power density, but times that by 30 and you've got something extraordinary And in my paper, I recommend that engineers look at this. For example, if a robot wanted to do something forceful, 
then mm-hmm. it would be very helpful to have that kind of power amplification. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. It's it's like firing a twenty two bullet with this shrimp right at the <laughs> at the yeah, thing. It's going yeah, exactly. After. Yes, that's remarkable. So you've got all right. I'm just thinking about this type of a system and how it could come about. I mean, you've got a four bar mechanism, and you've with with speed and amplification. Then you've also got an energy storage mechanism. You've got on top of that a latch mechanism that allows a rapid release. So you get all these five mechanisms tightly integrated pretty remarkable system once you combine each one of them but once you combine all of these together it's an incredibly clever you know master system if you will yeah it's a lot of engineering i have phd students who find them a bit mind-boggling um (laughs) it's it's superb engineering and if you just consider one of those systems like a four bar mechanism i would argue that's irreducibly complex because you need the four bars the four hinges to be in place in one go but Once you start having multiple mechanisms in parallel, not only is each one irreducibly complex, but when you start to integrate those, it becomes a very irreducibly complex system. Good, good. So as we examine this confluence of our human engineered system and the principles that we understand from our engineering to the study of biology and learn from how biology is even doing it better, I guess, than what we're doing so far, what's your overall conclusion to the study? The the conclusion is that there is a huge, a huge amount of examples of exquisite design in biology that, that engineers really need to look at. In my paper, I recommend that engineers, you know, look at all the examples that I did and that it's possible for them to produce better robots if they take lessons from those, those animal joints. But another conclusion is that it's easy to underestimate the precision design in biology. Mm. Some people make the mistake of looking at biological systems and they say, well, it looks messy. But that mess that they that they initially see is often due to a misunderstanding of, of what is going on. If you look under the microscope and you look in detail, you see that there's actually so much precision engineering in biology. The, the fact is, biological systems have a much better performance than engineered systems. And and you've got to understand those biological systems to, to see why that is the case and what engineers need to need to copy. Just one other thing I would mention is that one of the keys to designing better robots and other mechanical systems is to have better actuators. Mm. Uh, muscles are remarkable actuators. Not only do they have a high power density but they, they have very high strain rates. You know, you don't have gearboxes with muscles. With engineering systems, we, we have powerful motors, batteries, and other actuators. But it's very hard to find high strain rate actuators. And engineers are desperately trying to copy the performance of muscles, but it's really hard. So that, that's definitely one of the key breakthroughs that engineers need to make to produce artificial muscle. Yeah, well, I should. I, selfishly, I want to ask you about something I've been thinking about recently. So, if you if you think about your arm extended all the way, and then you bring it forward, you know you can figure out how to do that from a robotics standpoint. But typically, there's some kind of either you're driving it with a with a gear, or there's some kind of a strain on it if you're using you know a pulley or something like that. But if you bring your arm halfway forward, it doesn't necessarily you know other than gravity depending on where you're holding it right but other than gravity it doesn't want to spring out and go back so your muscles have this ability to move in this entire range but not 
necessarily have to spring back. They just stay easily and gently and workably wherever you put them. That, that, that's absolutely correct. Muscles have this amazing performance. And it turns out that if you just take one muscle like your bicep, it's actually mm-hmm. made up of something like 100 individual motor units. So it's not just one massive muscle. And yeah. those motor units have individual neuron control. And the brain is able to employ one motor unit at a time. That gives you very smooth transition from a low force to a high force. And you even have motor units of different sizes. And the brain even knows what is a small motor unit. So you can have very fine graduation of force. And then the brain uses antagonistic muscles. So even if you're moving one muscle to move your joint one way, the muscle is still under tension in the opposite direction in order to reduce backlash in your joint. So you don't just have one muscle working, both muscles are working at the same time. It's just that one is much has a much greater force than the other. So you have these basically preloaded joints. That's the reason they work just so smoothly. It, it's really remarkable how well muscles can work. Yeah, my wife is a, a physical trainer and she has to take these tests on, you know, which for a particular movement, which muscle is the primary, which one is the antagonistic, and which ones are the yeah. supporting muscles. So they have all three groups that kind of come together to help stabilize it and support it. Yeah, that's great. So just to wrap up, Stuart, why do you think that these linkage mechanisms that you've studied in biology point to intelligent design? Well, I mentioned the irreducible complexity. I I think every mechanical engineer knows that you cannot evolve or develop a four bar linkage step by step. Mm -hmm. You, you, You can't go from a one bar, two bar, three bar, four bar either you've got a four bar linkage or you don't have a linkage mechanism Mm. and then to have them in parallel with these other mechanisms that i've spoken about the latch mechanism the spring mechanism that always requires top-down planning i know that from experience i've been designing spacecraft and bicycle transmissions and when i teach design to engineering students i tell them you have to plan and design these systems top down you can't just evolve them from from bottom up And in biology, we see these mechanisms, which are even more complex than the mechanisms that that engineers are using for all kinds of systems. So to me, the evidence is very, very strong for intelligent design. Indeed. Well, this has been absolutely fascinating. By the way, I think your paper is not behind a paywall, correct? People can find a copy. How can they find a copy of your paper? Yeah, it's quite easy to look up. If you put into Google IOP for Institute of Physics, then Stuart Burgess, linkage mechanisms, it'll come up as the first result. And because it was a review paper, they chose to make it open access, which means it's free to download. Excellent. And we'll, we'll try to put a link to the paper in our podcast description as well, if we can do that. So, well, Stuart, thanks again for being with us today to discuss these remarkable systems and the engineering principles that help us both understand and better appreciate what the master engineer has already produced. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of ID the Future. To learn more about the engineering of life, join us again at idthefuture.com, on your favorite podcast app, or at our sister YouTube channel, Discovery Science. And consider sharing a link with a friend. For ID the Future, I'm Eric Anderson. Thanks for listening. Visit us at idthefuture.com and intelligentdesign.org. This program is Copyright Discovery Institute and recorded by its Center for Science and Culture.